0: Hey, so you'll be episode 10 of the show. You'll be my milestone episode.
1: Oh, (laughs) that's uh, no pressure.
0: (laughs) And welcome back to Prescription Sound, everybody. And this is episode 10 of the podcast. Can you believe it? No one has stepped in to stop the madness. Thus, we have finally reached double digits. On today's show, I'm joined by Scripps Research graduate student, Alyssa Shepard, who has a strong background in the pathways of cancer development, but is also here to share her experiences and growing interest in science communication. So let's join the discussion with Alyssa's initial science inspiration, and then how she arrived at her PhD work at Scripps Research.
1: Well, we're going to go back just a bit um, to when I was in uh, kindergarten, uh, even. I was one of those children you know, that was really interested in dinosaurs, and so I decided I wanted to be a paleontologist, and uh, uh, I wanted to be that all the way until I was maybe, uh, let's see, 13, and then my mom got breast cancer, actually, and at that time, I decided, well, maybe being a paleontologist isn't so, you know, interesting, spending all the time in in the desert and doing Mm -hmm. who knows what, so I decided I wanted to do cancer research, and so... Since then, it was all, you know, focused on learning biology and chemistry and stuff like that. So my undergrad was actually, uh, I got a biochemistry degree. And when it came to my senior year, I decided, you know, I wanted to go on to a PhD program. But at the same time, I was applying to um, some national scholarships. And so I found out pretty much at the same time that I was accepted to both Scripps for the PhD and the Fulbright, which is a year-long program. And so I deferred my acceptance to Scripps and uh, did a year abroad in the UK, getting my master's degree, actually in cancer cell and molecular biology, which is probably the most mouthful of a degree that I've ever heard of.
0: It sounds life. impressive.
1: <laughs> so after that, I um, yeah, I came back here, moved uh, down to Florida. I'm originally from Michigan, so that was quite a hop going Michigan, England, Florida. So. <laughs>
0: So which lab are you in now, and what's your um, current research focus?
1: So I'm in Joe Kissel's lab, and his lab, they kind of work mostly in what I'd say basic biology, you know, understanding pathways and how they function, trying to identify different therapeutic targets. Um, In the past, they've done a lot of work previously on, you know, the KRAS gene and lung cancer as a driver for lung cancer, and um, he's actually known uh, pretty well for doing a lot of work in the hippo-yap pathway, which is involved in, uh, you know, cell contact inhibition and cell growth and things like that. And he, I don't know if it was kind of a, a whim or he was reading a paper or they found something that led him to wanting to study naked mole rats, which was kind of a jump um so my project is involved with the naked mole rats, and um, we're investigating cancer resistance in these naked mole rats.
0: Right. Yeah, people have to check out these naked mole rats. They really are an unusual uh, critter.
1: Oh, yes. And Yeah,
0: they seem to be resistant to a whole host of diseases. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, they live uh, so long, you know, for their size. They're expected to live maybe uh, five or six years, but they live upwards of 30 years in captivity. And you would think that, you know, as they, because they age so long that they would have a whole host of issues. But no, they basically are perfect throughout <laughs> their whole lives. Um, so, you know, as humans, as we age, our chances of dying increase with age just because our normal cell functions decrease and things like that. But naked rats, their chances of dying remain stagnant all the way through their whole entire life. So I think that's pretty amazing in itself.
0: It is amazing. Uh, Do you know what the prevailing theory is then as to why they don't seem to to age or get these diseases?
1: Oh, there's many, many uh, theories out there. I mean, uh, naked morons have been studied in captivity for just over 50 years now. And for the vast majority of that time, most of the studies in them have been um, behavioral studies because they are one of only two what are called eusocial animals, so like termites and ants and stuff, uh, how they have like one queen who has all the babies and then uh, um, maybe one or two males who breed with the queen and then all the rest are workers. Um, naked That's how naked mole rats live is they have the one queen. And so it wasn't until uh, people began realizing that they had these naked mole rats for, like, 20-some years, and they are like, you know, none of these are, uh, naked mole rats are getting sick. There's no tumors developing. They're like, ah, I wonder why that is. Wow. So I think it was um, maybe 10, 15 years ago that people really started investigating the molecular mechanisms in naked mole rats. Um, so one of the popular theories out there is that they have um super early contact inhibition. So like when our cells, you know, when they touch each other, they're like, Oh, we gotta stop growing. But mm. naked mole rats I guess even if they get, you know, close without touching, they're like, Oh, we should probably stop growing now. So people see that in culture. Um also they have hyaluronic acid, which you know is a popular um kind of uh, ingredient, I guess, in like cosmetics and motions because they're like, oh, it plumps your skin and it makes you look youthful. Hmm. Um, Naked mole rats seem to have uh, more of that, I guess, prevailing throughout their whole bodies. So that's also um, a theory that people have. And there's a whole host more out there.
0: It's funny when you said youthful skin, because when you look at these things, they're kind of (laughs) wrinkly and (laughs) strange looking.
1: Yeah, they're, uh, they're pretty uh, pretty ugly. They're not winning any uh, beauty contests anytime soon, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of those Sphinx cats, you know, the hairless cats.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty. I, I always think that, you know, from the top, naked more are kind of cute, but if you flip them over and you see their, like, really long, yellowy teeth poking out, then they're just, I can't do that.
0: <laughs> wow. So are you guys isolating cells Um, from these rats and then kind of studying the molecular machinery
1: so that's part of it so i have i do a lot of um you know work in cell culture culturing uh naked mole rats um we actually receive immortalized cells from a group in england and uh that's kind of what i've been using because we found that the primary naked mole rat cells they just are so so slow-growing that I'd probably be here for 10 years or more (laughs) (laughs) trying to get anything done. But uh, the main thing that we're trying to do is investigate this supposed cancer resistance in vivo because a lot of these papers that have been published just use solely cell culture to show their ideas or to prove their theories and stuff like that, but nobody... Tries then to take it into the animals themselves, so that's kind of uh, what we're doing.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. And all the high impact research now, they tend to want all the in vivo stuff as well. So
1: right, yeah, and uh, I think uh, Joe's uh, is kind of skeptical of some of these claims that uh, some you know people claim. Oh, naked mole rats can never get cancer. And he's kind of uh, skeptical of that. So I think that's partly where this project was born from, you know.
0: (laughs) Now, the other reason I wanted to get you on is because you have become extremely famous through Scripps (laughs) social media. So you're an absolute celebrity.
1: Oh, well, (laughs) uh, maybe uh, not that famous. But, uh, yeah, it sure took off a lot more than i was expecting
0: it to (laughs) yeah definitely and um you i think came on my radar through the scripts research takeover tuesday so this was a initiative kind of posted on instagram where they would get a student to take over this scripts instagram feed for a day and post uh, what they're up to and i was extremely impressed you posted constantly it was very involved
1: (laughs) yeah that was a uh Long day, tiring day, but it was it was actually really fun because you see uh, all these. I don't know how much time you spent on Instagram yourself, but you know, a lot of organizations or brands will have uh, these Instagrammers take over their Instagram to kind of show you know like either the consumer side of things or just an in-depth look of the everyday nature of the company, and so. I thought it was really cool that Scripps reached out and was like, do you want to do this on our Instagram? Because I don't think I've seen any or a lot of, you know, universities, research institutes doing something like that.
0: Yeah, it's really exciting. And I'm glad they've kind of brought this into the into the fray and have really embraced it. And yeah, it's funny. So many uh, other bigger organizations and, and companies now are realizing the value of this social media scene. And I saw just last week on your page that... It seems like Zymo Research reached out, and you are now an ambassador for them. So how did that come about?
1: Oh, well that, that was uh, also a surprise, uh, like the whole script takeover Tuesday thing. I just got an email one time from a Zymo representative, and they said, we found you, I think it was because... You know, I love their products. Anyway, I use them all the time. Their maxi prep kit is mm-hmm. just to die for. Like, <laughs> And so I would post about it all the time, you know, and tag them in it. And so they reached out and they said, oh, we see you use our products um, pretty frequently. We've read some of your blog posts. We've looked through your Instagram. And we think that our ideals, our goals kind of align with each other. Mm-hmm. And they said we're trying to kick off this new you know, ambassador program, something that's never really been done, you know, in the science realm, having like a sponsored scientist, it doesn't really, you know, benefit me personally, it benefits the science. And then in turn, it benefits them, which is, you know, science too. Uh, so I think that's really cool. Um, I get free, I got lots of free uh, Zymo swag and they are going to send me a free kit every month to kind of review, talk about, uh, share my experiences with, uh, that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, really cool. It's a new direction in this, you know, social media world for scientists.
0: Yeah, congratulations. Think- it's really nice to kind of be noticed and then, um, get something at the end of all your efforts for doing this kind of thing. And I know maybe some other people out there either inside or outside of science, and maybe looking to do the same. So can you share some of your kind of advice on how to get started on the social media scene and any tips?
1: Probably my biggest advice is uh, don't force it, because um, if you try to post when you have nothing to post about or try to talk about something you have nothing to talk about, it really seems disingenuous, and I think people can, can see through that. And at the same time, you know, as grad students especially, we're really busy. Or at postdocs, we're really busy. And so um, social media should really be like a side project. It shouldn't be, you know, well, oh, I'm spending eight hours a day on Instagram and all this stuff. So <laughs> if you just, you know, casually scroll through at your lunchtime and, you know, you're like, oh, I have this interesting image of myself under the microscope. Let me just post about that and talk a little bit about what you're doing. I think that's a big thing, too, is explaining what you're doing, because even if, you know, someone, some English major, stumbles across your page and they're like, oh, these pictures are interesting. But if you just be like, oh, I uh, stained some cells to do some facts and do some flow cytometry and all these big words that they're not going to understand, it's not going to, you know, engage a wider audience. You might hit some, you know, fellow scientists, but not the... Um, other people so you should be able to talk about what you're doing in the uh, easy to understand sense you know
0: yeah yeah these are translatable skills that you can then apply to other avenues you know when you're doing posters or talks to people that aren't as familiar with your work so i think it's really cool all right
1: Well, i was gonna say one more thing too um is if you really want to you know get people to be engaged with you you also have to engage with them You know, you can't just post something and expect other people to like it and respond to it and not respond to other people's things. Because there is actually a huge science communication community on Instagram. And there are a bunch of scientists on there who post, we bounce ideas off of each other. Mm -hmm. I think since I started my Instagram, I've actually tried three different things that people have reached out to me through Instagram and said, oh, you should try this, you know, instead of this. And so it's really, it's a good place to be, I think.
0: The other aspect of your media, which I think is really cool, is your um, science blog, which is, what is it? The Curious Sheep?
1: Yes. What Great. What, sure. what,
0: what, what inspired the name there?
1: Uh, well, um, so my last name is Shepherd and okay. So I just, I like to make uh, jokes about, you know, sheep shepherd. And uh, I like the, the phrase, um, curiosity killed the cat. Um, mm. But that that phrase in itself is only half the phrase. Uh, I learned this like a couple months ago, that it actually continues and says, uh, curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. And I thought it was kind of funny that, you know, this phrase that people use so offhandedly to be like, oh, don't ask questions, just leave me alone, that sort of <laughs> thing. Actually, you know, I was trying to encourage that curiosity and that curious nature and so instead of you know like the curious cat I decided to do the curious sheep because um my last name shepherd
0: yeah no I love the blog and I don't know what application you use but it looks really slick and uh, what kind of content are you um putting on there generally
1: just general content anything that comes up that I think of basically to inspire me um so like the very first post that I did was um Kind of explaining, uh, in a general sense what cancer is because, you know, that's what I study. That's what I, I know a lot about. Um, I also started a, uh, series called, which I called Research 101, in which I kind of write about biology protocols that I use, you know, every day in lab, but, um, people outside of research might not understand them. And so, uh, one of the main goals of me starting this blog was to kind of practice writing for a general audience and mm. start communicating science to non-scientists. That's actually why I started it. And I'm really interested in doing sort of a science writing in the future, um, writing for, you know, the general public to help spread awareness, get rid of, you know, some facts that aren't so true that non-scientists seem to hold on to and stuff like that. So... Kind of general whatever i'm inspired by
0: <laughs> yeah it's such a great aspect of the work and i think more people need to you know do it and get into it in some capacity just getting thoughts down and getting messages out there so uh when you're not inside the lab what other kind of interests do you have
1: well i try to spend some time uh reading you know i read a lot of um kind of science writing books uh, my favorite author right now is mary roach She's not a scientist but she kind of deep dives into different topics related to science like military science mm. um digestive science space science stuff like that so she's really interesting uh, i also like playing uh, video games in my spare time
0: cool what's like um what's your video game console of choice
1: uh i use the pc just my laptop
0: oh okay cool cool yeah very good <laughs> If you could give someone one piece of advice or a piece of wisdom, either in science or out of science, in the realm of work, career, progression, life, health, wellness, self improvement, anything, what do you think it would be and why?
1: Um, I would say my advice would be uh, your goals in life are likely to change as you grow as a person, as you change through new experiences that you have, and that's okay. And I say this because my goals have changed. They've changed kind of slowly, you know, from wanting to be a paleontologist, to doing cancer research, and being here. Um, but now, you know, my main goal is to kind of enter this science writing, uh, science communications hmm. area, when in the past, my main goal was to, you know, get my PhD, do a postdoc, and then run my own lab someday to, you know be on the forefront of treating or detecting cancer. And for a while I struggled with that change being like, oh, you know, my goal of wanting to be a PI is so much better than my goal of wanting to, um, you know, bring science to the masses, I guess, and write and share science that way. And, you know, it took me, you know, probably more than a year to be like, you know, it's, it's just a different way of helping people. So yeah, goals are likely to change. Just because you're likely to change and and uh, it may take a while, but it's fine if they change.
0: Some great ideas there from Alyssa on how to get involved and put social media to good use. We'll have links to her blog, The Curious Sheep, and similarly named social media handles in the show notes. So have a gander at those. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, your podcast app, or wherever you enjoy listening to things like this. Thanks again to my guest and to you folks for listening. Happy Thanksgiving and we'll be
1: back again before you know it. Take care.